Gator Nation and welcome into the latest edition of Locked On Gators, your team every day. I'm your host, Zach Albaverde, staff writer for the Lake City Reporter. What's up, Florida fans? Welcome into the latest edition of Locked On Gators. Today's show will be a crossover episode featuring Zach and Michael from the Locked On Auburn podcast. We spoke for about a half an hour previewing this top 10 matchup between the Gators and Tigers. We looked at both the offensive and defensive sides of the ball, as well as the coaching matchups in this game. And all three of us gave our predictions at the end of the discussion. Here was my conversation with them this week. You're listening to a crossover edition of Locked On Auburn and Locked On Gators. Zach Blackerby and Michael Papp is here in Auburn. Joined by Zach Abelverde from Locked On Gators. I hope I said your last name right. I forgot to ask, man. You, well, you said the first name right, no doubt. I mean, <laughs> and, and you got the last name too. Okay, fantastic, man. So I, I know uh, just kind of speaking from experience, whenever there is a, a top 10 matchup coming, coming in town, you can kind of start feeling the vibe a, a, a few days beforehand. How are things in Gainesville? Oh man. Uh, well, first of all, there was already kind of a lot, a lot of excitement in town the past week because of HBO being in Gainesville and, and filming for his football team. So that kind of heightened things a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, they roll out on Sunday and they, and they unveil these new jerseys that they're going to wear for this homecoming game, college game day announces that they're going to be in town. So it's just, you know, one thing after another that kind of happened to get folks ready by the time Monday came Everyone knew what the rankings were. I think folks in Gainesville are just stoked for this game. The players are trying to, you know, downplay it a little bit and say it's, you know, just another week. We're taking it one week at a time. But everyone knows that, uh, as Kyrie Campbell said for his defensive tackle, it's time for big boy football. Yeah. So you mentioned this is Florida's homecoming game. You know, that's kind yeah. of, uh, you know, I think I've seen a lot of Auburn fans and the the players were asked about it. And they just kind of said no comment. But that's kind of surprising, right? Scheduling a, a top 10 team as your homecoming opponent. Yeah, no, Florida typically, at least, you know, when I was growing up here before I covered the team, it was usually always in November is when they would hold homecoming. And it was typically for a Vanderbilt or South Carolina when they weren't good back then. So uh, to have a matchup like this in October is, is kind of out of the ordinary for Florida. But nonetheless, I think that the alumni and everybody that's going to be in town are glad that it's a matchup like this instead yeah. of some of the other ones that's been in the past. What's the Florida take on this Auburn-Florida rivalry? There's been a lot of talk, I mean, even over the past few weeks, that Auburn and Florida, they should play more. I mean, there's been so many mm -hmm. historic games, both in Jordan-Hare, both in the Swamp, and I, I mean, I, well, I, think it's, I think I'll be 40 next time that, that Auburn goes to Florida, which is crazy. It, 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 sh it should sure. happen more often than that. Do Florida folks feel the same way? Uh, I think so. Maybe um, I think the fan base would like to see it. Dan Mullen made a great point this week at his press conference. He's He's been an advocate of, of playing Auburn more as well, not just this week. I think he said it before. But I, he made a, a point from the fans' perspective that trying to give people incentive to come out each and every season and each and every Saturday to these home games, it, it, it kind of gets old for some fans after a while when they see the same SEC teams from the same division coming to the same stadium year in and year out or you know every other year. Mm -hmm. And he, he made a point that if they mix it up and allow Florida fans or any fans to come see a team that they don't 
see regularly that that might give people more excitement to go to the ballpark. So I thought that that was a good point. You know, just from his standpoint, he, he feels like the history of the rivalry, uh, what he got to experience in 2007 and 2006, even though Auburn won both of those games, those were huge matchups. And I, I think everybody that's a part, been a part of it or been to a game or covered the, this game before would like to see it played more often. I mean, I, I would imagine that in Auburn, there's probably some of the same sentiment. Yeah, yeah, I, I, there's no doubt about it, Zach, for sure. And so l- let's jump into this top 10 matchup. Let's start with when Auburn has the football. Auburn's offense versus Florida's defense. What are you looking at uh, as a Florida guy covering this game? Florida's perspective, you know, Bo Nix, freshman quarterback for Auburn, taking the field. What do you think this Florida defense is going to do? Well, when you look at any Todd Grantham unit, one characteristic that they always have is they're going to attack and they're going to be really physical. They're going to be really fast. They're going to try and blitz and and throw Bo Nix off. And I think that that's going to be part of their game plan is to try to rattle him, have the swamp in the atmosphere, something that he hasn't played in before, uh, get to him. And, and at the end of the day, they, they have to do a better job up front. I think that they know that with Auburn's run game and the way that they block, um, it, it could present some issues for them. Towson, despite them being totally undermatched last week, an FCS team, their quarterback, Tom Flacco, had some success with his legs. And I think that you were going to see some similar looks from Auburn. So Florida just has to, good, has to do a good job of staying in their gaps. Uh, but at the same time, they're going to come after Bo Nix and try to do things uh, to, to re- really rattle him. The one thing that I'll be looking for also with this with this defensive unit is Ford is going to get some guys back. You know, C.J. Henderson, Jabari Zuniga, Sean Davis. Those are some key starters that now return to the lineup, and that should make Ford even more formidable on that side. Uh, but Auburn, I think, is going to be you know one of the better tests that they've faced so far this season from an offensive standpoint. And I'm not sure how you guys feel about that unit going up against this Florida defense because they, I mean, they've played pretty well so far this season. The Gators have. Yeah, and I saw during the Towson game, they or after the Towson game, I guess, first time since 2012, Florida's had two shutouts in the same season. So that's, you know, this is definitely an impressive Florida defense. Um, I noticed just from watching the Miami game and the Towson game this week that Florida's had some issues tackling, just yeah. kind of in general. Um is that something that you think is going to get cleaned up? Can that get cleaned up? Is that just part of the defense right now? Yeah, it's it was an issue, obviously, that first game, and it's it, it's shown up again. Florida's improved it a little bit as the season has gone on, but it's it still does show up. Uh, the one thing that Dan Mullen said going into the year and it's kind of an explanation for why it was so poor in the season opener was that and during fall training camp that they just don't hit like that. Uh, they're, they're trying to keep guys healthy and they're just kind of thudding and doing some of those other things. And, and he feels like that might've taken away, not that that's an excuse, but um, might've taken away from those guys being ready uh, right out of the gate to start the season. And then I know that that next bye week that they had before they had their second game, I mean, they, they drilled at home. I mean, they, they did a much better job tackling against UT Martin but you're also going against an FCS team. And I think that when you think about some of the athletes that Auburn has and guys like Anthony Schwartz to try and bring them down, if you're not sure tackling and wrapping up like you're supposed to, 
the Tigers are a team that could make you pay. And the, the, the players have already talked about that this week, um, that being a point of emphasis in practice. Yeah, and I'm curious to see what Auburn's offense looks like this Saturday. I mean, Malzahn, you know, he has gone back to, to calling plays for, for your Florida listeners uh, if, if they haven't heard. And you've really kind of started to see this offense take shape uh, of these great Malzahn offenses of, of years past. You know, 2010, the national championship winning team. 2013, you know, the, they played for the championship. And you, you're starting to see guys just be called open through scheme. And Malzahn's a huge part of that. And you're seeing Bo Nix kind of get the, the guys lined up, then look to the sideline and Malzahn changes the play and the, the route that, you know, Will Hastings or Seth Williams is running, they get wide open because, you know, Malzahn's kind of found his groove again. So I'm curious to see if that continues. And, you know, it's easy to do that against uh, Mississippi State like they did, you know, uh, this past Saturday. But can they do it against a top 10 team on the road? Well, it's it's going to change a lot. For sure. What are the thoughts in Auburn so far about how Bo Nix has performed since winning the starting job? And I know there was that battle with Gatewood and that that first game, I think, on that big stage against Oregon. He, he really showed the nation what he could be capable of moving forward. Man, the, the hype train is, is full steam ahead <laughs> right now. You know, and it's so interesting because all offseason, the majority of Auburn fans thought it was going to be Joey Gatewood. Yeah. And then fall camp rolls around and – you start hearing reports and seeing things that, that Bo Nix was the first to receive snaps. And, you know, I, I know here on this show, mm-hmm. we just thought it was kind of, okay, he's just giving everybody a chance. And that just happened to be what people saw. But, I mean, it sounds like Bo Nix has won the respect of his teammates. And clearly just by what he's been able to do on the field, he has won the Auburn fan base's hearts. And obviously his story with his father playing there. And just a heads up to the Florida listeners that are going to be watching this game on CBS this Saturday. They're going to mention Bo Nix's father at least 30 times. Just get ready for it. Just get ready for it. But, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, to answer your question, I mean, yeah, the Auburn fans are all in on Bo Nix. Well, it's so funny that you mentioned that uh, because Dan Mullen was just asked on the teleconference today if he knew that 25 years ago next week that Bo Nix's dad threw the game-winning touchdown pass to beat the Gators and hand Spurrier his first SEC loss at home. And, of course, Dan Mullen goes, nope. Well, and, you know, pretend like he had no ideas so that has nothing to do with this weekend. But that connection and that history, I think, that exists in this matchup, it is an intriguing storyline. I mean, it obviously doesn't have anything to do with Saturday, but for the Knicks family and certainly, like you said, those CBS announcers, they're going to have a field day with this. Well, the the week before Bo Nix's father went down to, to, to Florida to win, you know the team that he beat the week before at home? It was, yep. It was no, Miss- I do not. It was Mississippi State. So a lot of Auburn fans kind of waving that flag on social media this week. It's pretty interesting. So, Zach, you you talked about Malzahn and his scheming and how he's done a great job, especially in the Mississippi State game, of of getting guys open using that screen. You know, in the Towson game for Florida, there were quite a few plays when Towson had receivers uh, basically wide open. And and there were some other plays when, when Tom Flacco made some good throws also. But... You know, going into the season, Florida was talked about having one of the best secondaries, not only in the SEC, but in the country. Uh, I mean, I certainly haven't seen that in the two games that I've watched. And so I'm interested to hear your opinion on the secondary that doesn't seem to have lived up to the billing. Yeah, what's what's hurt is C.J. Henderson being out. I mean, he's got hurt that second game. And I mean, you're talking about a guy that's going to be a potentially top 10 pick, top 20 pick. 
in the draft. I mean, you, you take him out of your secondary, that's a huge void uh, that leaves. I think that's number one. Number two, I think that the the expectation or the level of play that they were expecting from Marco Wilson, who was coming off of a season-ending injury last year, he, he was just like C.J. Henderson, got hurt the second game of the year, and but he missed the whole year. Um, so he comes back, really had a tough game against Miami, some personal fouls and, or some pass interference, excuse me. And then Trey Dean taking over for Chauncey Gardner-Johnson in the nickel. He performed well as a true freshman last year at corner. I think most thought that it would be a seamless transition with him taking over for Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, and that really hasn't been the case. He's he's kind of had an up-and-down start to the season. And then in, this, in, the, in the back end, in the safeties, it's just kind of been a revolving door. They, they haven't really been able to find their right mix. The guy who might be Florida's best and most talented safety, Brad Stewart, was suspended for the first three games of the year. So you had that going on as well. So I, I just think they've kind of had some missing pieces in almost every game that they've played. And it's taken them, you know, they haven't got to that point, like you said, where everyone was expecting them to be playing at that elite level. They have everyone back for this game, uh, you know, from a health standpoint. So we should be able to see that on Saturday. And if not, this is a team and, and Nick's is a quarterback that could make them pay, unlike Towson and Flacco were able to. Zach, looking at the trenches when Auburn has the football, Auburn's offensive line, it seemed to have gotten better since the season opener against Oregon. And it's the same guys that started for Auburn last year. You know, they've got five seniors up front. And last year, I mean, they were pretty bad. I mean, they're the reason, the, a big reason why Auburn's offense just kind of was was lost uh, a season ago. And so w- with this offseason, they've seemed to have gotten better. Still definitely not a strength of this football team. How do you expect them to measure up against Florida's defensive front? Yeah, that's uh, certainly one area where I think Todd Grantham's going to look to try and take an advantage. He he really likes his front seven, and he should because of the way that they're playing Florida's you know, time, uh leading the nation right now in sacks. And the the production that they've gotten from guys like Jonathan Greenard, David Reese, their starting linebacker, and then even Amari Bernie, who's kind of emerged late. He missed um, the first couple games of the season with an injury. He was a safety last season as a true freshman, and now he's grown into a starting outside linebacker for Florida, um, had a career-high day in, in Florida's last performance. So they, they really have some talent there in that front seven, and – they also have some guys that have pretty good football IQ, guys that have played a lot, have a ton of experience. So I think Grantham is confident in those guys because he really, I mean, I'll be honest, he makes some play calls that are gutsy and and, gam- and he gambles at times, but he trusts those guys, and especially a guy like Reese, who's the quarterback of his defense. And they're, they're again, going to try to come after that offensive line and get to Knicks on Saturday. So let, let's switch this around now. Let, let's kind of look at this game on Saturday when Florida has the football. Sure. So there's been a, a lot of chatter among Auburn fans that have just kind of casually watched Florida throughout this year. And, I mean, just really looking at the Kentucky game, Felipe Franks obviously goes down, Trask comes in, and from a passing standpoint, it, at least on this end, it, it seems like the passing offense got better. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it, it's kind of hard to uh, ignore it at this point when you look at the production Kyle's had, uh, specifically in the passing game, you know, to come in and score 19 points in the fourth quarter to lead them to that comeback victory. He comes back uh, the following week, almost throws for 300 yards and leads them to a big win over Tennessee. And then last week, he sets the school record for pass completions in a row, 18, 
uh, in his second career start. I mean, beating Chris Leak's record. That's that's pretty surprising to see from a guy who's been sitting on the bench not for just three years at Florida, yeah. but three years as a high schooler um, when he was playing behind De'Aaron King at Manville. So he's been quite the story um, a, a, as part of Florida's season. Yeah, I think that HBO special that's going to come out tonight, they're going to feature Trask a lot. And he has helped Florida's offense, I think, not just in the passing game, but we're going to really see on Saturday. The one thing that he has done and maybe shown to be better at Felipe at is his decisiveness in the pocket and being able to recognize where he needs to go the ball, make that read, and get it out. And going up against a Auburn defensive line, which we're going to talk about, um, that's going to come after Florida and, and, and should create a lot of issues against their offensive line, Trask may be better equipped to be be the one that's going to be able to get the ball out fast and, and not let those defensive linemen get to him. Uh, really fast while we're talking about the quarterbacks, uh, Emery Jones, the the true freshman, yeah, uh, I believe true freshman. He uh, he came in in relief in that Towson game and and I thought he looked really really good. He he made some great plays both with his legs and his arm. When the Frank's injury first happened. You know, right after maybe right after the Kentucky game, when it was announced that uh, you know he'd be out for the season, were there people that wanted Emory Jones to start? Was, was that a conversation that was had in Gainesville about who who the guy was going to be, or or has it always been Trask? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a great question because I think that um, had man had Frank's gotten injured at like you know the the end of the game, or let's say Florida doesn't come back and win that game. I think that you would have heard more of that chatter from the fan base, people wanting to see Emory Jones get a shot, uh, or at the very least, a two-quarterback system. Because of the way Kyle Trask performed in that fourth quarter and leading them to that victory, um, he kind of won over Gator Nation that night. Um, and you know th- that doesn't happen often because, like you said, Emory Jones coming in was the heralded recruit. He was his big flip that they got from Ohio State. Uh, and beat out Alabama as well to get him on campus. So folks have kind of been waiting to see what he can do and what his potential is. But at the end of the day, I think based on Trask's performance, fans now understand that he's, you know, Florida's best chance to win. The one thing that he doesn't bring to the table that Jones does is that running threat. Uh, And he's going to continue to be used and get series in this game and throughout the rest of the season because he can offer that. And, it's going to be – I can't wait to see how Dan Mullen uses him specifically in games like this because he's really just been running him and handing the ball off. And I know at some point he's going to you know, do that step forward fake where he looks like he's going to run and drops back to pass. And this might be a game where he unveils that. Uh, and those are going to be, I think, the packages that Jones gets used you know, moving forward. So you already mentioned a little bit, Zach, but this Auburn defensive line going up against Florida's offensive line, that's the mismatch of the game, right? Yeah, no doubt. There's no doubt. Uh, And, you know, you heard John Hevesy say this week that, I mean, it's the best defensive line that he's seen in the last 15 years that he's gone against. I mean, that is high praise from a guy who's uh, been in the SEC and seen a ton of talented defensive linemen. Uh, on tape yeah so I think going into the year though fans knew that you know this game was looming and it was on the calendar and the offensive line issues had to be solved by the time Florida got to this week and unfortunately they haven't and Florida's still trying to figure out its rotation they're using a six guy Richard Garage in there but from a run game standpoint they have not been able to get production out of their running backs 
they've been able to use Emory Jones and some of their receivers to make some big plays. Hammond had that huge 76-yard touchdown to ice the game at Kentucky. But from a running back standpoint, they have not been able to open holes. And, you know, I don't know this uh, Auburn defensive line. I'm sure you guys could speak to it a little bit better. But just, I mean, what do you think about that type of praise from Hevesy? I mean, are they really that good in, in elite as he seems to think? I mean, th- there's a lot of guys that could do a lot of mm-hmm. different things, both against the pass and against the run. I mean, Derek Brown, I-, I think he's the best defensive tackle in the country. He is demanding so much attention. And, and you know, guys are having to get creative in how to block him. I mean, just because standard double teams aren't enough, sometimes you got to leave a running back back in there, leave an H-back back there, move a tight end across the formation. I mean, y- you've got to always know where number five is. And then number three, Marlon Davidson, he, they've scooted him inside some. He plays some defensive tackle, three technique type things, but a lot of the times he he plays outside the tackle, you know, that true defensive end. And he's won SEC defensive lineman of the week two weeks in a row, you know, earlier in the season. So, I mean, he's he's a guy that, you know, this Florida offense needs to know where he is at all times. Nick Coe, he's number 91. You'll see him play at every spot along the defensive front, including outside linebacker. He's a guy that can do it all, a former uh, state champion wrestler, and he's really – was kind of raw when he got to Auburn. Now a lot of people saying he's going to be a top two-round draft pick uh, whenever he decides to go. And then Big Cat Bryant, pretty much just a speed rusher. And I mean, just from top to bottom, this team, I mean, Tyron Truesdale, uh, he, he, he wears number 94. He's yeah. a deep defensive tackle. He's a guy that not a lot of people expected a whole lot from him mm-hmm. going into the year. But I think at times he's been better than pretty much everybody, but, but Derek Brown, kind of depending on what game you look at. So, this team, I mean, they are built and able to do what they do defensively because of the guys that they play up front. I mean, there's been a lot of praise for these inexperienced linebackers that Auburn has had this year. I mean, K.J. downhill Britt and, and, and Zacoby McLean, they've been outstanding playing linebackers as well as Chandler Wooten, but they're not getting blocked because yeah. all yeah. five or six guys, <laughs> depending on how many guys you want to use up front blocking, you've got to focus on the four guys that have their hand no in doubt. the dirt. So. That's really kind of been uh, that's going to be the thing is how, how does Florida deal with those guys? Because really, with the exception of Oregon in the first half, Auburn Auburn's opponents this year they have had no answer for what these guys can do. And yeah, before and I, really I, I, fast, I think the one thing we saw from Florida last year they had a similar matchup uh, going against Mississippi State, which had a mm-hmm. an extremely talented defensive line. We saw that in the draft in this past draft, and Florida's. You know, and they had a veteran group that was still struggling on the offensive line. And Dan Mullen and John Hevesy put together a fantastic game plan to just neutralize that unit. They did a lot of screens. They did a lot of quick passes. They did not give a chance. Uh, they did not give Felipe Franks a chance to hold the ball and get sacked. And I, I think that's going to be a similar plan on Saturday. I, I do think, like, like I mentioned earlier, that Trask might be better equipped to maybe sit in the pocket a little bit longer uh, have some of those longer developing plays, but you know, at, at the end of the day, this is a this is a much more, I think, better offense that Florida has now to be capable of uh, at least throwing it in the passing game. Like you guys mentioned, Trask has had a bunch of success. You look at Florida's receivers; that is without a doubt the strength of their team. And now they're even getting production from their tight ends. Kyle Pitts has emerged as the go-to target for uh, Kyle Trask. They're calling it the Kyle to Kyle connection or Kyle squared or. <laughs> that's Whatever cute the, you know but and, and then you know between him and all those receivers um that's something i want to see you know how, how is auburn able to kind of handle that and, and and can their defensive line you know maybe neutralize that as well yeah 
And before, you know, while we're talking about skill position players and, and you brought up the running backs and how they've kind of struggled up to this point in the season, uh, from what I can tell, uh, Florida's running kind of a two-back system with uh, Damian, yeah, Damian Pierce and LaMichael Pirine. I've actually been super impressed by Pierce in, in the two to the two games that I've really you know focused on while I was watching them. Do you think that that kind of the balance between those two guys might shift one way or another? I, I know LaMichael Pirine is a senior; he's a good running back, but. Uh, in my opinion, which is not, you know, super, super informed on Florida, Damian Pierce looks like the better running back. Well, you have the opinion of a lot of Florida fans. And, you know, they've been clamoring for him to get the ball more. Even looking this last game, P. Ryan had six carries. Malik Davis, their third running back, had six carries. And Pierce had six carries. Uh, uh, P. Ryan and, and Davis had less than 30 yards, I think, both of them. Uh, and in his six carries, Damian Pierce had 84 uh, no, no, that's just one game, but I, I think that's a you know a small sample size of, of him making a lot more with his opportunities. And for P. Ryan, I, man, I feel for the guy. He came back for a senior season. I think that probably based on the information that he got in the draft, it was the right one. But when you come back to run behind an offensive line that lost four of the five starters, and then you're replacing those guys with just a bunch of green linemen that don't have a lot of experience – um, it's a tough situation to be in, especially for a senior. You're coming back, you're trying to improve your draft stock, and you're running behind a line that just doesn't have it, especially not like your last group. So I think early on this season, it's not just been the offensive line. I mean, they've struggled. But he's also, I think, been pressing and just he's not found his groove and, and found his comfort zone running behind this offensive line. I think the chemistry's off. He's still trying to figure them out. Um, it's just not where it was turning like at the end of last year. I mean, Florida had, let's say, six or seven 200-yard games to end the season. Uh, they're nowhere near that right now. Pierce, maybe just because of his vision, elusiveness, what it is about his game, he's just able to find those holes better right now. And, and I think that in a game like this, you got to give the ball to the hot hand. Is is LaMichael Pirine Samaji Pirine's brother? Or do they just have the uh, same they're, last they're, name? They're cousins. Okay. First cousins, yeah. I know but they are related. Yeah, for I sure. know that's a, not a football question, but I've just they both play football. Wondered. Yeah. Well, and, it, and it, I mean, they have a very similar running style, too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, and then that, that was a that was a cool connection that kind of P. Ryan had when he first got at Florida, because everybody just kind of knew him for that. <laughs> then <laughs> over time, he started to make a name for himself. So looking at the skill players for Florida, as far as them getting open. They're going to be competing against uh, a pretty veteran group of, of defensive backs. Noah Benogany, I, I think he's the best corner on the team. I know some Auburn folks would probably say Javaris Davis, who's going to be on the other side. Javaris Davis definitely has more experience, extremely fast, one of the fastest players. Sunshine State. Yeah, yeah, you, you're <laughs> right. You're right. One of the one of the handful of Auburn guys that uh, that are from down there. But yeah, Noah Benogany is interesting. You know, both of his parents are uh, former Olympians, and uh, he came in as a receiver and moved over to the defensive side of the football played corner last year. And then he's really just become, I think he's one of the best corners in the sec. And then Jeremiah Denton, kind of the leader of this defense. He's one of the safeties and Daniel Thomas is uh, another of those safeties. And then there's a young guy that's playing nickel, spent a lot of time in the middle of the field, Christian Tut. And 
while, you know, Auburn fans really, really like the characters and the guys in this defensive backfield, and I, I think they've done a good job for the most part, but I do think that's the weakness of this defense. And so if Auburn is going to lose, I, th- I think it's going to be due to Florida's passing game. And and so, Zach, fill us in on, you know, who are some of these skill players for Florida that could step up and create space and win some one-on-one matchups on Saturday? Yeah, well, I, I mentioned um... – We'll start with the receivers. I mean, Van Jefferson is, is kind of their senior leader um, and, 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 and kind of the guy that gets that group going. Um, you're going to see him catch a lot of balls. Tyree Cleveland and, and Trevon Grimes are their other receivers on the outside. Josh Hammond, he, I mean, he kind of does it all. He, he'll line up on the outside. He'll come in the slot. He's now taken over some of that Kadarius Tony role, Florida's you know slot receiver uh, that's out right now. You know, Hammond's kind of taken on some of that responsibility. He's a, a really versatile, kind of speedy guy. Uh, and, you know, in his uh, now a year plus with Dan Mullen, he hasn't dropped a pass yet wow. uh, in a game. So he, he's a sure handed receiver. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, I mean, those are their top guys. Uh, and then, you know, they'll sprinkle in some others. Uh, you know, you, you look at a guy like Jacob Copeland, who is, an, an, you know, he's a redshirt freshman receiver. But he's been getting more reps with Kadarius Tony out. Him and Freddie Swain, they're kind of the other guys that they'll work in that slot. And that's the one thing that I want to watch out for between those guys coming in the slot and in the backfield and the tight ends, Kyle Pitts and even Keon Zipper, who caught a, a touchdown, his first career touchdown catch against Towson. We've yet to see this year, you know, middle screens to the tight end, the shovel pass all these kind of little wrinkles that Dan Mullen has with it. We haven't seen it. I mean, it, it not seen it at all. So I, I think a lot of that is going to be potentially shown on Saturday, just things that they can do um, to take away from Auburn's pass rush and get their guys in open space. And I think that they feel like they like those matchups. Uh, you know, if the secondary for Auburn is a weak spot, not only will they look to attack them, you know, in the passing game, but they'll try to run outside. They're not mm-hmm. going to try and run in between the tackles against this defensive line. They're going to go outside because I would I would even say that this staff, I'm going to say they definitely have way more confidence in their receivers blocking on the outside than their offensive linemen yeah. blocking, blocking in the hole. So you're going to see a lot of that utilized from both the run game and the pass game with the screens and stuff, and, and that's what Auburn's got to be ready for. Zach, do you have a score prediction for Saturday? Oh, man. You know, I haven't even got a, a number on it yet. I, I do think Florida is going to win this game. I think it's going to be close. Um, I, you know, I, I just, you know, going into it, I thought that uh, that it could go either way. But talk, listening to Dan Mullen today and um, kind of his history with this matchup and with Gus Malzahn, I just feel like this one's a little personal for him. Uh, you know, he lost twice as an O.C., you know, Auburn handed Florida their only loss in their national championship season, 2006. And if you guys didn't hear the story in 2007, when Auburn beat Florida in the swamp, Dan Mullen had his appendix taken out the night before the game and uh, still went the next day and called plays and got shut out in the first half. And Florida ended up losing on a last second field goal. So I I just think that this game means a lot to him and maybe a little revenge uh, factor. And I think that he's going to throw the kitchen sink uh, out. Um, from a game plan standpoint, from an offensive standpoint, because this is Florida's chance to make their mark. I think they're going to lose next week at LSU, and then they really don't have another marquee game in in the season other than Georgia. So um, they're going to put all their chips in this weekend, and I think that they find a way to get the W. All right. Yeah, the 
the feeling around Auburn is Auburn is very confident going into this game. It sounds like Florida is as well. I I think Auburn's going to pull out the win here. My biggest question is, and you kind of answered it, Zach, is how is Florida going to score points early and often? And you know, Dan Mullen is is a good game planner. So, uh, you know, as far as attacking the outside, I think that makes sense. Um, you know, once again, though, one of those things is I think it's easier said than done. I do think Auburn wins. Uh, I've kind of gone back and forth on by, you know, how much, but I think it's going to be, you know, mid to high 20s versus, you know, high teens to, to low 20s. I, I don't think either team really explodes offensively. Agreed. That's uh, that's that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, uh, I, I, I really think it's it's going to be a battle uh, defensively, uh, you know, and, and really this could come down to, you know, both of these teams are familiar in a, in a lot of ways just in terms of what they do offensively. Um, it's about, you know, which quarterback can play the cleanest game and, and not make mistakes. I mean, both of these guys are pretty inexperienced in terms of playing in a matchup like this. Um, and whichever team can execute the best is going to get the win. I do think that, that one thing that Auburn's got to like going into this matchup is they've been battle tested. You know, they've, they've shown that they've got what it takes to get in a game like this and find a way to win twice. Um, so, so that's something Ford has got to be ready for my prediction is uh, twenty-eight seventeen in Auburn's favor. All right, so a little little double-digit win for the Tigers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's gonna that'd be a that, statement that, that, for sure. That that might not sting as bad uh, for Florida fans as when uh, Patrick Nix beat the Gators in the swamp. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll see, man. We'll see. Well, hey, uh, appreciate um, joining forces with you this week, uh, Zach. One other quick question. For uh, for those Auburn fans listening, making the trek down to the swamp, what uh, if you had to recommend one restaurant for them to eat at while they're down there? What would you go with? Ah, oh, they just opened Cheesecake Factory here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I mean, man, it, it's tough to not go to Satchel's Pizza uh, if you're just if you're looking for something that's um, you know Gainesville's own and some something that you can't get anywhere else. Uh, Satchel's Pizza is the spot. Perfect. Thanks, man. And uh, for uh, for all the Auburn folks, where can they follow you this weekend? Yep, you guys can uh, follow me on Twitter at Zach Albaverde, and uh, that's Z A C H with an H. No, Don't forget. <laughs> for the Florida folks who want any Auburn stuff this weekend, I'm uh, at Z Blackerby, or you can just search Zach Blackerby and Michael. Where are you at, bud? I am at Couch Potato on Twitter. Perfect. Thanks, Zach. All right, awesome guys. Good talking to you. That'll do it for the latest edition of Locked On Gators. I appreciate Zach and Michael for the time. On tomorrow's show, we'll be joined by Will Salmon from The Athletic to talk about this matchup some more. Make sure you guys stay tuned to Locked On Gators, your team every day.